Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. One of our missions at Being Patient is really to give people impacted by Alzheimer's better access to the science, um, a better explanation of um, treatments and the search for a cure. So um, today I'm very pleased to have with us Remy Barbier. He is the CEO of Cassava Sciences. Cassava has recently been in the news um, because they had some promising data in a phase two trial for an Alzheimer's drug that is um, currently under um, clinical trials. So Remy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me to present. Uh, Remy Barbier, president and CEO, and also uh, founder of Cassava Sciences. And just a quick 10 second introduction at Cassava Sciences, we have one mission and only one mission, and that is to defeat Alzheimer's disease. We're a biotech company. We have a treatment, an investigational treatment, I might add, for uh, all patients with Alzheimer's disease. And we also have a, an investigational blood-based diagnostic to detect Alzheimer's disease. That's all we do. Well, you have a, you'll have a lot of support on um, within this community of people impacted by Alzheimer's. Um, we want nothing more than someone to find a better treatment and cure. Um, and so tell us a little bit first, I, I just want to start with the very basics. Um, you know, I know you mentioned both there's a diagnostic and also a drug that you're currently um, testing. Let's start with the drug, um, which interestingly enough, um, is both um, aimed to treat neurodegeneration and neuroinflammation. So tell us a little bit about how, uh, how that's possible. Okay, so it's a, it's a great question and really a great opening question because you're correct. Normally a drug aims to do one thing and only one thing. Uh, if you have a headache, you take a Tylenol. If you have this, you take a that. Um, our drug, and that's, that's well understood why those things exist, but our drug is a little bit different. Um, we think of Alzheimer's as multiple cascades. It's not a single event. It's multiple things, multiple biological processes happening at once. So, um, you know, if I may draw an analogy, it's not like, uh, uh, it's not quite um, a single waterfall. It's more like Niagara Falls where you've got one big waterfalls, but then you've got all these different waterfalls coming from the left, from the right, 
Unfortunately, this is what, what happens in Alzheimer's disease. It's a series of cascades. None of them are good. And the outcome, uh, unfortunately, is well known. So our thesis is that if you go upstream of all of these different cascades, you've got a shot at not just fixing one waterfall, but a number of them. And that's been our ba basic hypothesis since we started working on our drug almost a dozen years ago. So let me just, um, uh, just so I make sure I'm understanding this um, correctly. I mean, the pathology, the presumed pathology of Alzheimer's has been plaques and then tangles and then the inflammation. And there's some scientists who believe if you prevent, even if you have these hallmarks, if you prevent inflammation, then you may not see a symptom of Alzheimer's. Is, is this the presumption of um, um, simulifin? Uh, I, I would say, I think what you just said is it's not wrong, but I would say it's a little simple uh, compared to the, the, the full richness and complexity of the disease, because it, it truly is a, a mind-boggling complex disease. And, and by the way, we're not saying we understand it you know, in more detail than anyone else. What we are saying is that we have some insights into the biology of the disease that are perhaps a little bit different from what others have been following. Um, but it's that difference that I think results in the type of data that we're seeing, the early evidence for improvement in cognition, the lack of any safety issues, the, the tolerance, the, the ability of our patients to tolerate our drug without you know, severe side effects. Um, so, okay, I just, we're getting a lot of questions in right now, and I want to address one because I think this is the right opportunity to do so. Um, you know, we all know anyone who has a loved one with Alzheimer's, there's only a two or three drugs that are typically from, you know, Donofazol, Aricept, um, Alexon, those um, type of drugs um, that really don't, I mean, from my personal experience, I haven't seen um, them do great things, uh, mm -hmm. maybe. And and actually, I was told that they're actually really to be used in the short term. They're not a long term solution, although people stay on them for a long time just because there's nothing else. Um, right. So how is how is and it's you know the the drug that you are studying it's it's called simulafan um is, did i pronounce it correctly <laughs> it is a tongue twister of a name uh, you know i i actually thought if i'm going to do another business i'm going to name drugs for drug companies because they're always so hard to pronounce and remember so. no but deborah let me tell you a little secret uh we don't get to uh we get to invent our drugs but we do not get to name them oh interesting so, Yes, we provide the, chemi the, the, the chemical formula to a, an agency that's part of WHO, and they do whatever they do. They look at it you know, sideways, upside down, and they say, aha, your drug should be called semifilan. And right. you're like, where did that come from? Well, <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, semifilan is the chemical name. Obviously, it will have a more pronounceable, uh, hopefully more memorable uh, marketing name if and when approved. Um, I'm sorry, now we lost. So the question is, how does it differ from what's currently oh. on that, which are, oh, I can't oh, even I say see. the word, colonase uh, inhibitors, right? Is, did I say that right? Yes. So there is, uh, I think there are, I believe at this point, there are about five, maybe six drugs uh, approved 
for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. And all of these drugs essentially work uh, in the same manner. Uh, you have what are called acetylcholine uh, uh, receptors in the brain. Uh, healthy subjects do, uh, everyone does. And what these drugs do, uh, what these uh, Aricept and, and that whole, you know, all of its cousins do, is they keep hitting that same receptor over and over and over again, day and night, 24 seven, which is not something you wanna do to receptors. Uh, in any event, that, uh, that continuous uh, hitting of the acetylcholine esterase of the acetylcholine uh, uh, receptor actually does boost memory. It does boost cognition. That's the good news. The bad news is to your point, it rarely lasts more than a few months. So let me summarize that thought by saying a different, uh, saying something similar but different. Um, to our knowledge, we have never seen a drug, never in any type of study design, actually improve cognition over beyond six to nine months mag uh, maximum. And so what? So so what about the drug um, similfulam? What would that, is that meant to last longer, or is it also yes? Also, okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, we actually have an ongoing open label study right now. Uh, we actually just increased the target enrollment. We were going to recruit a hundred patients. Uh, we are so overwhelmed with demand that we're increasing it to one hundred and fifty patients. And you're still, is this still part of the phase two? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's an open label safety study. So yes, it is not part of phase three. Um, in any event, what we saw in an interim analysis, in other words, at the halfway point, so 50 patients on our drug for six months, what we saw is an increase in cognition and an increase in, or I should say, decrease in uh, Alzheimer's related behavior which is pretty significant. It was about approximately 10% increase. May not sound like much, but I think as anyone who, you know, who's, who's dealing with uh, patients on, uh, with Alzheimer's, a 10% increase, a 10% boost means not just the boost, but more importantly, they're not going downhill over that period of time. So I, I think one of the things when before you experience Alzheimer's, you don't realize how um, complex a disease is it in the sense that it's not just memory loss. In fact, I've come yeah. to believe that the memory loss is the easier part to deal with when you're caring for someone. It's yeah. uh, complicated in um, you know the behavioral aspects. Um, what did you see with patients? Um, I know you know it's 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 early days still 50, 50 patients, but did it alleviate other symptoms aside from just the memory loss? Yes. When you talk about behaviors. Yes. So we use uh, two distinct uh, scales. One is eight, one called ADAS Cog, uh, and that's a, a well-known scale of cognition. The other scale is what's called the neuropsychiatric inventory, fancy word, NPI is what we call it. And the NPI measures things that are typically associated, things that probably come to mind when you think of Alzheimer's type behavior. Did I remember to take a shower? Did I remember to change my clothes? Did I remember to eat my meals? Uh, did I have delusions? Did I have psychiatric, you know, psychosis, that, that's more what the NPI measures. And both cognition and uh, neuropsychiatric function are equally important. 
various mm. reasons. But to get back to something you said, I agree. It may not be cognition that's the real hit in Alzheimer's. To me, probably the biggest hit is the dignity to the patient. That, yeah. That's the first thing that goes out. Absolutely. Um, so we, you know, we're getting a lot of questions, of course, around um, around the trials that you're currently ru running, and a lot of people are asking whether um, you'll apply for a breakthrough therapy designation from the FDA. But let's back up a little bit and tell us, you know, I know obviously you have to get FDA approval right before you could advance the study. Yes. Where are you at right now, um, and what's the next step to all of this? Yeah, so the good news is we just had a big meeting with the FDA in January. We just received the final official minutes of that meeting, so now it's official. Uh, and they did give us the green light to move forward with large pivotal phase three program. Uh, we plan uh, to initiate those two phase three studies second half of this year. Uh, why the lag? Simply because it takes time. These are very large, complex studies, and you need a lot of drug. You just physically need drug supply, and you need a lot of clinical sites. So it just takes, it's a matter of months to, to get the organization up and running, to get the drug supply up and running, so that when we start uh, our phase three studies, we can just roll right through them. And how many, I mean, I'm, it's a thousand plus, how many will be in phase three? So uh, two separate studies, one will be approximately a thousand plus, a thousand plus patients with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. The second study will be shorter and smaller. It'll be approximately five, probably more like 600 patients with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease and we'll measure, we'll track them for approximately nine to 12 months. And, you know, I, I'm assuming placebo will be in there as well, right? It's, it, it's an evil necessity. Yes. But will the people who enroll in the study be offered the medication, um, depending on the efficacy after they participate? Yes, we do plan uh, in order to, you know, thank the general public and the patients and the physicians, we do plan to offer open label simiflam uh, for those who complete the study. Okay, now it's a, now I'm going to go back to the basics again because I think there's a lot of confusion um, for the non-scientific community. Um, it's a small molecule drug, right? So it's, it's, is it going to be a pill? What's it going to be? And what exactly does that mean when you say we're developing a small molecule drug? Uh, good question. Um, it's, it's a little bit of uh, shock talk. A small molecule refers literally to the size of a molecule. Uh, because it's a small molecule, it will be a pill. It's a tablet, actually, a small tablet. Um, the hardest part will be probably to make sure you remember to take it twice a day, uh, as opposed to perhaps some of the anti-amyloid uh, drugs that are out there where you have to come in once a month or once a week and, and actually go through a physical exam and an injection and so forth. Ours is, I have to say, it's a little more convenient than uh, some of the other experimental drug candidates out there. Yeah, and we were we were getting a lot of questions around this too. Um, and one of the questions was um, uh, whether or not you're going to be giving people um, like spinal taps or PET scans to measure 
you know, the um, amyloid plaque and, and tangles. Yeah. Um, if you're targeting yeah. neuroinflammation though, I don't know, uh, is that important? Well, remember we're targeting neurodegeneration and neuroinflammation, not one, not the other, both. That makes all the difference in the world. Um, so in our early studies, yes, we did require spinal tap. Uh, informally, it's called a spinal tap, uh, where essentially the physician goes in and, and uh, takes out a very, very small quantity of what's called cerebral spinal CSF fluid, the fluid that runs up and down the, uh, the spine. And that's necessary for a couple of reasons. One is you want to make sure that the drug actually reaches the intended target. And it does. We've, we've measured that. Um, but more importantly, we also want to see the drug's effects on all these various biomarkers of disease. Things with complicated names like neurofilament light chain, neurogranin, uh, amyloid beta 40, uh, 42, A beta 42, uh, P tau 1, you may have heard all these different terms. Um, essentially, all these are biomarkers of disease, biomarkers of inflammation. One thing we know for sure with 100% certainty is that if these biomarkers go in this direction, in the up direction, cognition goes in the opposite direction. So we're taking the other side of that bet and saying, look, we have a technique to bring down all of these biomarkers of disease. We think that by suppressing these biomarkers of disease, we're targeting the actual disease itself, the underlying disease, and we can actually improve cognition. And if not improve, certainly stabilize. And that's another point to consider. Stabilizing cognition is a huge win in Alzheimer's disease. Why is it huge? Because we know, once again, with 100% certainty, we know that cognition declines, typically by about four to six points on the ADES-COG scale. Um, cognition declines, it just does in, in this disease. That's one of the of the disease. So I'm assuming that, um, do people have to have the presence of, of plaque in their brains before they qualify for this study? Do you, do you need to see beta amyloid plaque or tangles in the brain? Okay, so let me be clear. Um, so in our early study, we had to get CSF fluid. It was a must because we wanted to see if the drug had all the intended effects. All the effects we saw in mice, all the effects we saw in postmortem tissue, all the effects predicted by the science, we had to be 100% sure that the effects were in, actually in place. We are now sure that the effects are in place. So with for our phase three, we will not require the spinal tap. There'll be a small subset of patients, um, but very small as a percentage of the total patient population. So let me just ask you it this way. I mean, it is complex and I get what you're saying. Like you have to kind of tackle a multi-dimensional multi approach, but presumably if you already have the presence of plaque or tangles in your brain, this drug is not gonna reverse that. But what you're saying is possibly it can slow down um, the deterioration. Is that correct? Well, Again, not to, you know, not to use the same word over and over again, but it really is a complex disease. Let me give you an example why. 
every patient with Alzheimer's disease has amyloid plaque in his or her brain, but not everyone with amyloid plaque in the brain has Alzheimer's disease. How's that for complications? So this is why you can't necessarily hang your hat on amyloid plaque and its removal. I think amyloid, the anti-amyloid hypothesis definitely has a place, uh, a significant role to play in the overall science, but there has to be a little bit more to it than just, oh, the patient has amyloid plaque, therefore has Alzheimer's. No, that's not true. We, we actually had a question earlier uh, that was sent to us wondering if you're going, would, does, would this drug work for other dementias? This person named in particular FTD, but we know there's a lot of different types, vascular, Lewy body, et cetera. Do we know, or are you, are you gonna test it on other dementias? Uh, well, the short answer is we don't know. Um, you know, as scientists, we, we, the word no has, has a lot of importance. So no, we don't know. Um, but is there a good hypothesis? Is there a good reason to believe that our drug can work with multiple forms of neuroinflammation, multiple forms of neural degeneration? Absolutely, yes. Um, we are a small company, so we're really trying to focus where we think we can have the biggest benefit uh, for the most patients in the shortest amount of time. And to us right now, that's mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. But yes, with time, we do plan to explore some other indications such as FTD, perhaps Parkinson's, uh, perhaps um, other forms of neurodegenerations. And someone is asking, um, what's a disease modifying therapy versus symptomatic treatment? What's the difference? Ah, so you take the case of Aricept, okay? So we all agree, I think we can all agree that you give Aricept to a patient with Alzheimer's and initially the patient gets better. You get symptomatic improvement. The symptoms seem to go away. Unfortunately, with Aricept, as, we all, as we've said, the symptoms come back with a, a vengeance. That is symptomatic relief. It's almost like taking a painkiller when you're in pain. You know, you have a migraine or headache, you take the, the painkiller, the headache, doesn't really go away, it's in the background, but uh, you can deal with it. Symptomatic improvement is you make the headache go away. You, you, you hit something with the disease that modifies the actual disease itself. So you're no longer trying to put a Band-Aid on it, you're actually trying to treat the underlying condition. That's disease modifying. And that's what we think our drug can do except we also know that because of what we've seen in the early studies, we can both improve patients in the short term as well as modify the course of the disease. Okay, and I guess uh, people really wanna know if you're going to apply for breakthrough therapy designation um, from the FDA uh, for exp expedited development um, and a review of the drug. And actually we got this uh, fair point in earlier that, wow, we, we developed a vaccine for COVID in record amount of time. Um, what about in this case, um, any chance if you're getting early signs that, you know, positive data around this? I mean, obviously you, ha you still have a, a phase three trial to run with a lot more people, um, but, you know, what's the timeline for this? Is it, could it be considered breakthrough therapy? Um, you know, we're, 
how should I answer? We're a public company, so I have to be a little bit careful on, on what I say on, you know, kind of a live show. Uh, but a short version is yes, yes, and yes. We're very, very conscious. Um, you know, more than anyone, I think we've been, we've been focused on Alzheimer's 24-7 for about 12 years now. We know, we know the damage it can do. And the FDA uh, has told us they are working, they will work, uh, they're working with us and they will continue to work with us uh, to make this available to patients as soon as it's proven its, you know, its paces. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the phase three trial. You told us the timeline, approximate timeline for it. Um, uh, what about the early onset folks? Are they included in this or do you have um, age restrictions? Who, who can um, apply to, you know, sign up for the trial? Yeah, we're, we're still actually putting together the list of uh, what they call inclusion criteria, which is what you call the, the restriction. It's basically who can and cannot. Um, but typically uh, the patients would be, be between the ages of say 50, perhaps 55, and perhaps 80, 85. Um, one, I have to say upfront group of patients that unfortunately we cannot help are those with severe Alzheimer's disease. At that point, the, the damage is so far out there, so far done that, frankly, I think it's, it, you know, it may be a while before anyone can really help um, uh, severe Alzheimer's. So can you define that for, I mean, I know that sounds like a really simple question to ask, but I know within my own family, we constantly go back and forth about what stage my mom's at, you know, because some days are better than others. Yeah. So what is the difference between, like in terms of research, between moderate and severe? So it's a fair point and you are absolutely right. And you should go back and forth on a day-to-day -day basis because you're right. Some days the patient sleeps very well, feels good. And, you know, they're almost, not quite, but almost back to normal. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately some days just not there. Um, that is typically mild to moderate. Severe Alzheimer's patients are those who they wake up, they don't know where they are, they don't recognize anyone, they, you know, they don't know if they've eaten, they don't know if they've showered. It's kind of end-stage Alzheimer's disease. At that point, it's, it, there's no debate anymore. Are we having a good day or bad day? It's, you know, it is what it is at that point. Um, but as long as you're having that debate, with yourself and your family and your care caregivers, you know, is today a good day or a bad day? To me, that's a good sign because you're still in that zone of possible treatment, possibilities of perhaps having more good days than bad days. We can't know, and no, no, there's no silver bullet, and I don't think there will ever be a silver bullet for Alzheimer's disease, but what we're trying to do is put more good days in the good day bucket and minimize the bad day bucket. So a lot of people describe, have, have, have come to the belief, scientists um, have come to the belief that a treatment for Alzheimer's will look more like one that is used for HIV. So it sounds like that's what you're saying as well. Um, it's, it's such a complex disease. It's not one pill that's gonna just cure Alzheimer's. What we have to do is we have to treat some of the uh, biomarkers or the signs that show us that we're on the road to Alzheimer's. So um, in the case of the drug that Sava Sciences is developing, um, you know, I know it's neurodegeneration and neuroinflammation. 
but is that is that it i mean it's not that it's that's not enough of course but that's a lot um but is it really um when when we look at those those biomarkers are we looking for also i mean the the inflammatory part of this is a, is obviously a very important trigger in this whole pro the cascading process right yeah um so you're correct um it, it, i think it will end up more like hiv and perhaps other fields where once diagnosed, you will probably uh, see the patient be um, given a cocktail of drugs, depending on the patient. Um, what biomarkers don't predict with 100% accuracy, or perhaps with any accuracy, is behavior. And as you know, behavior is a big part of Alzheimer's disease. So while we may be able to suppress some of these biomarkers, a lot of these biomarkers and suppress neuroinflammation and make a real impact on disease progression. We, uh, certain patients may still need, for example, an antidepressant or certain patients may need anti-psychosis medication or anti-this or anti-that or, you know, so there's room for many, many different players. Uh, again, there will not be a silver bullet for Alzheimer's disease. There'll be room for the anti-amyloid drugs. Uh, we're certainly hoping that the Biogen drug gets approved. Uh, we hope the FDA does the right thing and provides it to patients. Uh, and if so, I think our drug with the Biogen drug with perhaps a number of other drug candidates out there, hopefully again, will make a difference in the lives of these patients and these patients can have more good days Days. And just for the background, um, the Biogen drug that you're talking about is aducanumab, which is um, basically targeting the beta amyloid plaque, right? It's an immunotherapy that is going for the plaque in the brain. So you're saying in combination with your drug and a, a drug like that, it would be a good uh, way to tackle um, this. It would offer us other options that aren't currently available. Yeah, the, uh, the Biogen drug, we call it ADU for short because uh, the real name is just too long. Um, but the ADU drug has uh, shown some promising effects. Unfortunately, those effects were found in kind of a minority of patients. You know, you have to be fair and you have to really, you know, be rational when you look at the data. They did two very, very well-controlled, very well-designed studies, large, complicated, long-term studies. The drug did not work in one, but the drug seemed to have, uh, the high dose in particular, seems to have a real effect in some patients some of the time. You know what? These patients have nothing all the time. Why not provide them with a drug that might actually help them? And that's our rationale for its approval. Likewise, uh, we're, uh, you know, we're, we, 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 I would not be happy uh, if our drug only worked for a minority of patients. And I don't think it, it will. I think it, it will work for a majority of well-diagnosed uh, patients with Alzheimer's disease. This is why I say perhaps, you know, our drug with the ADU with a couple of others can provide a number of good days for these patients who don't have that many good days. So when you say um, the majority, like what, what would, um... What would make this a successful um, clinical three phase three trial? Like, what what percentage of people do you have to see um, having a positive impact? Uh, I wouldn't say the number of people. I would say what impact does it have? 
I, I would start with the impact and then back into the people, the number of people. Um, I, I tell you, I think if we can show a 10% difference or a 10%, you know, uh, a stability in cognition over 12 months versus patients on placebo, that is huge. Especially if we can do that in better than 50, 60% of patients, that is a monster drug that's going to help millions of people, not just in the US, but around the world. So, um, and someone is, uh, a viewer is asking, what is the target on what protein that you feel your drug candidate is aimed at? So specifically, uh, you know, what is, what is the protein? Is there a protein that you're aiming it at? I mean, oh yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> now you're starting to speak my language. So yeah, language. exactly. Not mine, obviously. <laughs> uh, okay. So the target of our drug simiflam is a scaffolding protein called filament A. We have, we all have uh, filament A from your head down to your toes. That's not the target. The specific target is an altered form of filament A. One of the contributions of our scientists and our academic advisors is they made the unique discovery that patients who have Alzheimer's disease have misfolded filament A. And so something goes wrong with that protein um, earlier on or just through the whole course of the disease? Early, early, super early on. So this is pre like, so, so is this what may lead to plaques or is this like, like where is it on the? Uh, you know, we don't know what day zero is and we certainly don't know what causes day zero, but it's well known by now that patients who have who are diagnosed who have the clinical symptoms of Alzheimer's, typically the disease has been in place for a number of years. Whether it's five years or fifteen years, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, but clearly, um, you know, the germ has been seeded. The seed has been in place for many years beforehand. And what we're saying is part of that. Uh, part of that seed, if you will, is a misfold in this filament A. And what our drug does is it sits on the filament A so that it is no longer distorted. It is no longer shaped oddly. It, it restores its, its normal function and shape. So you're making the scaffolding stronger, so to speak, or you, you, you allow it to maintain its strength so you don't get that degeneration within, within. Yes, I, I, I okay, I, I buy into <laughs> analogy. If you think of a brick house or brick building, if you remove one brick, ah, so what? A few flies get in, right? You remove a dozen bricks, uh, you know, maybe no big deal. You start removing 50 bricks, 100 bricks, something's gonna give. Eventually you remove, you know, a thousand bricks and the whole scaffold folds. Something similar may be happening in Alzheimer's disease. What we're saying is here's filament A. There's an altered form of filament A. When it's altered, it loses its function. It loses its shape. You're taking bricks away from the house. Eventually, you take enough bricks away and the whole thing collapses. So what does this mean for the patient? Does this mean if it does indeed work, and it does do that. It stops, you know, it, it really reinforces the filament A um, protein. Does that mean this is a drug that you would stay on for the rest of your, your life and hope that, 
you know, it can, it's enough to, to stop the progression of Alzheimer's. Yes, absolutely. Not only that, but one reason why we're developing a blood-based diagnostic is to detect the presence of this misfolded protein. Because uh, my vision is that as soon as a subject, as soon as a patient has, uh, has uh, evidence of this misfolded protein, don't wait. Start to, you know, start to improve your life, start to exercise, start to lose weight, eat properly, and take semiflam early on. Because so is, is this a drug that the, um, you know, people with APOE4 could possibly go on or like, you know, or those who have the early onset markers, APP and um, percent one or two. I mean, those are, those are the really bad markers because it means you're, you're going to get it right. So is this yeah. something that could be um, good for people who don't yet have any symptom, but they know that they have a higher um, chance um, just because there's a genetic um, predisposition. Okay, so uh, once again, it gets really complicated from here, but you're asking the right questions. You know, uh, what is the genetic component of Alzheimer's? Well, I think, you know, if you really look at the data, you have to say it is not a gene-based disease. Well, it's gene-based but it, it is not an inherited disease. And yet, and yet, if you have a history of Alzheimer's, you probably have a higher percentage. So you can't rule out the genetic component. All this to say that geneticists haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, I started a, uh, a genetic research company that has gone on and done very, very well for itself. But way back, and I want to say this is about 25 years ago, if not 30, uh, we actually dissected the presenilin, the PS1 gene, and the PS2, and the APP gene. And we, we pretty much, we had some really good technical success in mapping out all the various biological pathways. And here we are 25, 30 years later, and we still don't have a drug around those genes. So we, we believe more in the biology of disease than in the genetics of, of disease. So we're getting a lot of questions around the blood tests. Uh, I think you, you've called it SAVA-DX, is that correct, diagnostic? SAVA-DX. Yeah, yes. SAVA-DX. Easy name. Okay, um, what's the timeline for that? Is that, and are you going to market that um, for doctors to use as indicators, like, or, you know, to, to see if this is the right thing to prescribe? How does all that work? Um, so we don't have all the answers up front. I want to be clear about that. Uh, and it is still investigational, but I'll tell you what our vision is. So uh, my vision is a blood-based diagnostic where you go in and, you know, you go in once a year or whatever, you get your cholesterol test and you get this and that, whatever. Included in that blood work is a test for the misfolded filament A, which is Savidex. And if you have it, then you can sit down with your family, with your physicians and kind of figure out, okay, what should we do, if anything? Or, and some patients may even say, you know what, I, I don't even want to know. Until you tell me there's a treatment for Alzheimer's, I don't want to know. And you have to respect those, uh, those opinions. Um, but essentially, our vision is a blood-based di diagnostic that detects the presence and the severity of Alzheimer's disease years before the memory loss, years before, you know, who are you type questions and how do I find my way back home from the supermarket? 
Yeah. Well, and you know, I think it's interesting. Um, what I'm, I'm curious, Remy, just why you think, I mean, you said a, a couple things that were interesting about, you know, how there's not going to be a silver bullet and, um, why, I mean, you, you've dedicated now, I guess, you know, more than a decade of your life looking to help people who have Alzheimer's. Um, why has it been so hard? Like, is it, like some people say we're all, we're going after the wrong target. Like, why have we not been able to find the right treatment um, or drug um, for Alzheimer's disease after so many years? Deborah, it's just a hard, hard problem. Let me give you, I'll throw out a number, a trillion. A trillion is the number of cells that are estimated to be in the average brain. And you're going in there and trying to fix, you know, maybe a small fraction of the trillion and leave the other, you know, 99%. It's a hard, hard problem. Um, there's just a lot of biology that we fundamentally do not understand. Um, so I would say at the, you know, at the headline level, I would say it is just a hard problem. Possibly, you know, understanding the brain may be one of the hardest problems at every level, not just at the level of biology, but at the level of philosophy, theology, sociology, you name it, it's a hard problem. Um, I think below that, the bylines would be, there has been such a push to promote the anti-amyloid hypothesis that, you know what, frankly, a lot of the innovations just so wh where are you on that? Do you think that's the wrong target? We shouldn't have, I mean, or do we not know? Should we have not invested so much in the anti-amyloids? I mean, where are you in? Uh, in well, in I, I tell you, I like the way NIH is supporting the field. Uh, what they concluded some years back is, look, the, the anti-amyloid hypothesis is for real. It, it's like climate change. It's really, it's hard to deny, right? However, it may not be the final answer. It may not be the answer at all. We don't know. People, uh, companies have run something like 29 large, long phase three studies around the anti-amyloid hypothesis. And to my knowledge, only one has shown a little bit of evidence for efficacy. That's the Biogen study. So there's more to it than the anti-amyloid hypothesis, which is not to say it's wrong. It's just that like anything else having to do with biology, it's the, you know, the reality is probably more complicated and, and we just need to expand our horizons around the types of innovations we're willing to take on. And uh, this is where, <coughs> excuse me, I started to mention the NIH. NIH is, has a superb program that essentially they allow a thousand flowers to bloom. They will fund a thousand flowers and say, you know what? We don't know which ones are gonna work. But if we let a thousand flowers bloom, maybe a couple dozens are gonna show real evidence of efficacy. And of the couple of thousands, a couple dozens, maybe three or four are gonna turn into real drug candidates. And out of the three and four, a couple may get approved. And that's where we come into play. 
So in the in the early data that you're getting, um, is there a reason why um, this drug wouldn't work on people? And do, do you know, you know, is there is there something like, I mean, it's it's really interesting right now to look at the inter um, uh, section between lifestyle prevention and yeah. you know treatments and drug therapies. So I'm wondering where you are on that, and if there is like maybe people who have more comorbidities or something that, you know, could make it more difficult for a drug like this to work? No, I think the, um, the science behind our drug, the, the underlying science really speaks to anyone who has a filament, misfolded filament A in the brain. So, um, so in that regard, the drug should work with all patients who have uh, misfolded filament but A. But just to be clear, and that's pretty much everyone who has Alzheimer's? Yes, but here's the difficulty. Not everyone who enrolls in an Alzheimer's disease actually has, there are different types of Alzheimer's. So not everyone is gonna have the misfolded filament A. You may have what's called vascular Alzheimer's disease. You may have symptoms of Alzheimer's, but in fact, you may have had a stroke. Patient may be in deep, deep depression and show all the symptoms, all the behavior of Alzheimer's, but in fact have nothing to do with Alzheimer's. So, you know, sometimes uh, people come up to me and go, Remy, I don't get it. Y you know, it's a crisis out there. We're, you know, we're all looking for answers. Why are you doing thousand patient studies? Well, we, we have to do thousand patient studies because we know that by enrolling a thousand, maybe only six, maybe only 700 actually come in with the Alzheimer's disease that we can treat. And unfortunately, the other 20, 30% may have things that have the look and feel of Alzheimer's, but are not, in fact, Alzheimer's disease. So how long have we known that the filament A is such a thing? I mean, is this a newer discovery or is this something we've known for a long time? Uh, time is relative, right? <laughs> no, but we. this is one of our scientific contributions to the field. Uh, this was an observation made, I want to say, approximately 12 years ago. So yes, in, in science, 12 years is, is nothing. That's mm. very, very you know, soon. Um, so it's a recent discovery. And um, you know, unfortunately, drug development is a slow, slow, and it should be slow. There's, there's, there can't be anything, you know, with the exception of things like COVID, there should not be um, you know, rapid drug development, because then you put people at risk and it's, it's not good for anyone. So we, we got a question about, I mean, you, you said yourself, you're a small company or small biotech company. Um, are you going to partner with pharma? Like what if, what if in phase three shows that, yeah, this really works. How do you bring it? Like, what's the next step? How do you scale? Um, we are, you know, our specialty is innovation. Our specialty is research and development. That's what I've been doing for my entire career for 30 plus years. We're not a sales and marketing shop. Uh, I wouldn't know how to sell a drug if, you know, if it hit me in the head. Um, so at the right point, uh, yes, we probably will hand this drug over to someone who has all the infrastructure in place who specializes in distribution and getting the drug from, you know, from the warehouse to the patient. That's a whole separate set of complexities and specialties. Uh, frankly, I don't even understand how that all works. Uh, we're just focused on the science and the clinical development. 
So one of the unintended consequences that we have had at being patients is because um, at being patient is because we're explaining the science to people. We often get people holding up their hands saying, how do I, how do I get into this study? How do I find this? Um, how do, you know, the right trial? Um, so um, where should we direct people if they're interested in inquiring more about your phase three trial? And you said towards the end of 2021, just to be clear, like mid to end, right? We're talking, we're, we're a few months out now. Excuse me. <clears throat> I drank some water. Sorry, I, I made you talk too much probably. <laughs> um, yes, we're still a few months out. Uh, <clears throat> as I mentioned, we, uh, we are increasing the enrollment in <clears throat> excuse me, our open label study. Um, but the real study that, you know, if I had a parent or a close one um, with Alzheimer's, I would want them in the phase three study. That's really the, the go-to study. And <clears throat> those will be initiated, uh, we think, sometime around September, October or so. Uh, meanwhile, right now we have uh, nine clinical sites around the country in uh, Arizona, Ohio, Florida, Oklahoma, various places. Uh, I think they're posted on our website. They should be. If not, I will check right after this. Um, that is the best place to start. Um, I will say, please don't call our scientists. I'm not saying this to be mean. It's that we really are getting dozens and dozens of phone calls a day and emails, and we can't handle it and do our work at the same time. Uh, we're here to help, and we will help. Uh, but the proper way to help is to really refer patients to the clinical sites, and they can answer the specific questions of, you know, does my father qualify or does my family member qualify to enter such and such a study? So, um, so when is it that you will have the final uh, phase three? I mean, you 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 still need FDA approval, right? Or correct. Yeah. So you've got to wait for the approval. Once you get the approval, you can go into phase three. Then phase three will last. You said I think six to eight months. That's the shorter study, right? And then another one will be longer. Um, so th there are two phase three studies. One will be approximately nine to 12 months. The other will be approximately 18 months. Okay. That's for patient enrollment. And then you need to analyze the data. You need to see, you know, what, what does it all mean? And then you package it, you send it to FDA. And then FDA typically takes uh, with, uh, with breakthrough therapy or the right designation, they typically take six months to review uh, the package. And then, then it's in, in the hands of patients. Okay, and just so that people are clear, I mean, you know, cassava science has got a lot of press lately because I think there was a lot of investors very bullish on the early data. What is it? I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, phase two is early days, right? We're not talking about like something that is like, oh, I, I, I know this is going to work. This is like promising to advance to the next stage, right? But right. In particular, like specifically, what did the data say that made you excited? I mean, you've been doing this for 12 years. Um, wh what is it, you know, what specifically were you looking at? So it's a great question, but the way I want to answer it is that it's not any one specific data. See, that's the, that's the difference with our approach. It's the consistency of data from the basic research to the animal data to the CSF biomarkers, 
to the early cognition, uh, to the open label study, there's a consistent theme that, in my opinion, the world of Alzheimer's disease R&D has never seen before. What we're used to seeing is, oh, here's a drug for Alzheimer's. Here's a study that shows it goes in the brain. Let's move on and repeat. Oh, sorry, that's my dog. I knew this was going to happen. I'm muting. My okay, uh, I'm going to assume you can hear me. Um, so what, what's different here is, again, the consistency of data, all the way from basic research to human data and early evidence of cognition. You can actually connect all the dots and reach some sort of aha moment to say, wow, if the data replicates in phase three, this is, this is for real. And I think that's what a lot of, um, you know, frankly, what a lot of people are seeing that you can connect the dots that we are, we're a small but very transparent company. Uh, we have a lot of peer review publications. We have more coming out. And if someone is so inclined, they can actually sit down and try to understand all this stuff and reach a conclusion that, yeah, this is really different. Not only is it different, but these guys are actually using hard evidence, biomarkers. Biomarkers don't bluff. There's no placebo effect with biomarkers. If you suppress biomarkers, you will improve health. So, so um, just to end on, and, and thank you, thank you so much for for this time. I think it's you know really um, interesting, and and um, of course we are all hoping that you know any company will solve. Um, part of this mystery or, or the whole mystery behind Alzheimer's. Um, I have to ask you, just um, curious, you know, you've, you, you've dedicated a lot of your life um, to Alzheimer's disease. As a scientist, why? I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what the reason was behind that. It's what we do. It's what curious people do. Ask you haven't been, have you been impacted in your family by Alzheimer's? There's some of that too. Yeah, it's hard actually today to find someone who hasn't been, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a, so Remy, thank you so much for your time. It was a really interesting um, conversation. And of course we wish you all the luck in the world as we do of any scientists looking to solve this mystery, um, but especially, you know, thank you so much for your time um, and to take the time to really explain it all to us. And we look forward to hearing um, about the results uh, to the, the phase three um, clinical study. Um, and of course, if you missed any of this interview, we always um, post it on beingpatient.com. Uh, you can make sure to sign up for our newsletters. We um, you know, always keep you abreast of upcoming talks, whether they're from um, scientist perspective or patient perspective. Um, we feel like being patient is a great opportunity for people to see Alzheimer's from all sides and all dimensions. So thank you very much, Remy, um, Remy for, for joining us and we wish you all the luck. Thank you, Deborah, for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T.com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.